Pastor Xavier Reese talks about the example of John the Baptist. Here's John the Baptist's philosophy. It's one that you and I should have. He must increase and I must decrease, John 3.30. That means I'm constantly aware that I'm poor in spirit. I am bankrupt spiritually on my own. We are poor in spirit, we become wealthy in Christ Jesus. <laughs> For it is in Christ that are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2.3. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The Beatitudes, probably some of the most familiar passages of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount from the Gospel of Matthew. But today on Simple Truths, Pastor Xavier Reese takes us to the end of the New Testament where we find the Beatitudes of the book of Revelation. He begins with some background for today's study. Let's listen. Having now the book of Revelation under our belt, we've done messages, you've got the overview of the entire book. Now we can look at the Beatitudes in the book of Revelation and see where they fit, who they speak to, how they apply. These Beatitudes are very specific and they're at the end of the whole New Testament. There are some other Beatitudes in the beginning of the New Testament on the Sermon on the Mount. Some think that Beatitudes, especially those on the Sermon on the Mount, are really for the multitudes, but it's not. If you look at Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's for the disciples of Jesus Christ. It is one of many discourses that we find in Matthew. You have that, the Sermon on the Mount, the Olivet Discourse. And there, um, that dialogue and that sermon declaration is probably recognized more than any other, the Sermon on the Mount, both by Christian and non-Christian. It's familiar to all, like the story of Jonah. Even the non-believer knows about Jonah. The sermon runs from chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. And the sermon has been called the Magna Carta of the kingdom, the Sinai of the New Testament, the Manifesto of the kingdom. And some have attempted to compare those Beatitudes with the Ten Commandments as a parallel and declare that we, all we need to do is to live by the Sermon on the Mount. But again, this is a tragic mistake because the Ten Commandments tell us what we are to do in order to be right in relationship with God and man. But the Beatitudes tell us what we are in Christ. And there's a big difference. The law was based on doing. The Beatitudes are based on being. That you are a Christian. The Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount mark characteristics of a Christian that are interrelated and interdependent one upon the other. They build one upon the other. They're called beatitudes, not do-attitudes. See, we understand the gospel of grace, but then we go on often and forget and we start focusing on works. And there's always a tragic consequence when that happens. The Beatitudes are a result as the Spirit of God is living through an individual. As a disciple, 
the Holy Spirit enabling that person to live in obedience to the Word of God. Now, as we look to the Sermon on the Mount, those Beatitudes, they reveal three things about a disciple of Jesus Christ. In the first two verses, it tells us what they are, have become. In other words, the multitude is in the, in the background, but the disciples are his. And so in those first two verses, what they do is they become disciples of Jesus. And in that aspect, disciples of Jesus come from where? The multitudes. You became a Christian from the multitudes of the world. And then because of that, disciples of Jesus come out. They're among the multitude. And then they come out of the multitude. And then what they do is they sit at the feet of Jesus and get taught. And then from verse 3 down to 9, it tells us what they are as disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's the Beatitudes. Listen, they are poor in spirit. They are those who mourn. They are those who are meek. They are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They are those who are merciful. And they are those who are pure in heart. And they are those who are the peacemakers. And then the last two of verse 10 and 11, we are told what they can expect as disciples of Jesus. Persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then reviled and persecuted with evil speech of all kinds against them falsely for the sake of Christ. For righteousness' sake and for the sake of Christ. And so as a disciple of Jesus Christ, there's a price to pay, right? In every generation, in whatever nation we live, in whatever culture we're part of, the gospel is an offense to the natural man, to the world, to the religious person. Now, understanding the Beatitudes in an overview like that on the Sermon on the Mount, what we want to do now is we want to finalize our message is here of the book of Revelation by looking at the seven Beatitudes that are found in the book of Revelation and see who they apply to, what it is that they mean, and also as well as seeing how the Beatitudes of the book of Revelation line up with those of the Sermon on the Mount perfectly. And so let's look at the first here, chapter 1, verse 3. The first beatitude declares the blessing of this book. Listen to him. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. The context, again, is very important in each of the beatitudes that we will see. The context of this first beatitude is the introductory words to the book of Revelation. Right up front. The person who reads the words of this prophecy of the Revelation will be blessed, he says. What an amazing statement. The word blessed, markarios, means literally, oh, how happy. The same word that is used on the Sermon on the Mount every time. Oh, how happy. Now, you know that 
the world lives for, quote, quote, happiness. Everybody wants happiness. But the happiness that the Bible speaks about is far different. The happiness in every one of these beatitudes of the book of Revelation, like those of the Sermon on the Mount, are dealing with happiness in its truest sense of contentment and fulfillment. Not like the happiness of the world that is based on feelings, emotions, and circumstances and what one possesses. This is the aspect of the world. If you have a car, you have a house, you've got a good salary, you've got a good retirement, boy, you're happy. But you drive out and you smash your car, now you're not so happy. It deals with what you have and what's outside around you. But biblical happiness deals with the true aspect of knowing who you are in Christ and your position in Christ Jesus. There's a big difference between that. This happiness is promised to the person who reads and finds out that Jesus can forgive them of their sins and make them sons and daughters of God. For it is in this first chapter that Jesus appears as the glorified Christ, the heavenly high priest. The work of redemption has been accomplished. He's not on the cross, he's not in the tomb. He's in heaven. And so the person who takes time to read the word of this prophecy in particular will be blessed, be a happy person. How much more for all of the word of God? In reading, the person can learn and understand what is going to happen to the world and then be able to communicate to others with meekness and fear. The information that we communicate from the book of Revelation is not to scare people into the kingdom. You can't scare people into the kingdom. And you can't scare the hell out of people. That's, that's an oxymoron, okay? It, it just doesn't happen. They must be convicted of their sin and calling upon the Lord. They change their direction from hell to heaven. We can warn. This is the only book that promises a blessing if you read it. And yet so often preachers and teachers say, you shouldn't read the book of Revelation until you've got at least 5, 10, 15, 20 years in the Lord. And don't ever read it on your own. You make sure that you buy my book. Really. It's the only book that promises you a blessing directly in all the New Testament. It is the only book that's not sealed in terms of contrast between Daniel and the book of Revelation. Daniel's book is a sealed book until the end times. The book of Revelation has never been sealed. It's open to those who will come into the kingdom and read it. That blessing is promised to them. Now, notice the first beatitude is ascribed to the person who hears the words of the Revelation and keeps those things. Then he will be blessed. Blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is short. So the practice of public reading was after the Jewish synagogue, as you know, with a lector. Uh, someone in the congregation read the word of God. And here is the address of the, new, the churches, so the pastor, whoever is going to read. And as you know, not everybody in John's day 
knew how to read. The majority of the Roman Empire were slaves. And so as they became Christians, they would go to church and hear the word of God. They couldn't read it for themselves. Throughout history, in particular church history, it is interesting to learn how many people who have been illiterate, once they become Christians, they have learned how to read by the Bible. <laughs> in fact, the first textbook in our public school system was the Bible in the United States. Now you can't even mention it in the public school system. The word here, akul, means to be endowed with faculty of hearing and to attend, to, to consider, to understand what is being said. It's a key word in the book of Revelation 46 times. You as parents know what John is saying. You always say to your kids, just as I did, do you hear me? Do you understand me? Are you listening? <laughs> 46 times. The implication is that a believer is not to forsake the gathering of the saints, church, as the manner of submiss, as Hebrews 10.25 says. One of the greatest deceptions is when people get burnt in churches sometimes and they get real weird and extreme and they say, well, you know, uh, I, I don't go to church anymore. Uh, uh, well, where do you go? We have home church, house church. It's me and my family and a couple of families, and that's what we do. Oh, really? Now, if you're shipwrecked and you're on an island, you can have home church. But as long as you're in civilization, God says you find a church. You're not the church. You're part of the church. You need to hear the word of God. Even though you can read, you need to hear it. You need to hear expounded. So the Spirit of God can deal with your heart. God can use you in the body of Jesus Christ. Very, very important. Notice the person who hears is accountable to keep those things which are written in the Revelation, the exhortations, the warnings, the instructions. The word to keep there, as you know, means to observe and to guard. The same word is translated to hold fast in Revelation 3.3. There is always the danger of those who love knowledge for knowledge's sake. It's the worst type of pride. It's spiritual pride. And they love to flaunt their knowledge as a walking Bible or encyclopedia while never being doers of the word. It's kind of like the world, you know, there's a lot of shrinks out there and counselors who are trying to tell you how to fix your marriage and they're on their fourth marriage. I don't get it. It's like if you take your car to a mechanic to fix your car and, you know, his car's broken down every day. Why would you take it to him? Hmm. So the blessing comes in keeping what is written in the Revelation. Realizing the book of Revelation is God's inspired word. The warning is given again at the end of the book. Listen, Revelation 22, 18 and 19. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in the book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy. God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. So God places a great importance upon the book of Revelation and what he says in it. The blessing, notice, is in view of the shortness of time, for the time is near. The last days are about to be over. 
the church age. The word for time, as you know, is kairos. It means a measure of time, whether it be large or small. It's a very specific proper time. It could be translated the season. Like you would use it if you say, uh, I've got a very important week. You distinguish that week from the other periods of time. Uh, summer, uh, spring, it, it identifies a distinct in the year period. It's kind of like a crisis situation. And it's used like that many times in eschatological terms, the study of last things, in a time of crisis, a decisive moment. That's what the word really means. And so the time is near, the critical time, the time when the Lord will return. The time is closer than when we think that we are. Often people think they have years to live. Next day they're dead. Somehow we think because we're young, we're going to get to be old. But did, did you get a guarantee when you came out of the womb with that? Death respects no one. And so the church is to be looking for the Lord's return. We're closer to the rapture than we believe we are, I guarantee you. And we're closer to the tribulation than we believe. No man knows. In fact, the word for near means at hand. To be placed in position to begin the events to be revealed. John is writing about 95 AD. We're looking about 2,000 years later. Listen, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Revelation 22:10. At the beginning, at the end, they're sandwiched together. The book of Revelation is really the answer to the long-awaited prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, Matthew 6.10. Now, the first beatitude here of the book of Revelation, happy is the one who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things written in it, for the time is near, lines up the first beatitude of the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to it. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Both of these, depending on the revelation of God's word, Completely. On the Sermon on the Mount, the word blessed again is oh how happy. The same exact word. The word poor means extreme poverty to the point of being destitute. The root meaning is to crouch or to cower. But the word in its context is very important. It's not talking about being poor money-wise financially, but the word in its context speaks of one who sees himself in poverty of spirit regarding personal worth to merit God. Those who are poor in spirit, who see themselves before God as wretched sinners, that's what it's talking about. So often man says, well, I'm good enough. I'm a good person, and, and I'm no worse off than him, and, and, you know, and God can just weigh my life out, the goods and the bads. Whoa. No, no, no. It's the opposite of pride. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? Is this not Babylon that I built? Laodicea, I am rich and wealthy. I need nothing. So the benefit of the person who is poor in spirit is stated. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
listen to Spurgeon. The power of the word of God is so incredible that one day Spurgeon just came out to his pulpit and he wanted to test the sound of the auditorium and he just birded out a scripture. And to his unknowingness, there was a man in the rafters working and nobody saw him. That man went home that night and was convicted by what he declared and he repented of his sins. Listen to what Spurgeon said about the word. The hearing of the gospel involves the hearer in responsibility. It is a great privilege to hear the gospel. You may smile and think there is nothing very great in it. The damned in hell know, oh, what would they give if they could hear the gospel now? If they could come back and entertain but the shadow of a hope that they might yet escape from the wrath to come. The saved in heaven estimate this privilege at high rate. For having obtained salvation through the preaching of the gospel, they can never cease to bless their God for calling them by his word of truth. Oh, that you knew it. On your dying beds, the listening to a gospel sermon will seem another thing than it seems now. We fail to put value to things that are really valuable in life. We can get so caught up in so many things, even as Christians. You know, we worry about things so much, and all of a sudden you get the news and the doctor says, you have cancer. And all of a sudden, all those hundred things you were so freaked out about, they're not even there. They're not even considered because it's the crisis of life that shakes us to what is really valuable. It brings us back to reality. Those who see themselves spiritually bankrupt before God become rich by embracing his word, the gospel of good news, and they enter the kingdom of God through that new birth, as Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, 3 through 5. When you see yourself in poverty of spirit that you don't deserve God, you deserve hell, and you see yourself in that way, and then you depend upon what the Word of God says. John the Baptist is a good example of this beatitude as he didn't think himself worthy to even loosen the shoe straps of Jesus Christ, understanding the prophecies of his first coming. This was his philosophy. Here's John the Baptist's philosophy. It's one that you and I should have. He must increase and I must decrease, John 3.30. That means I'm constantly aware that I'm poor in spirit. I am bankrupt spiritually on my own. Likewise, each believer in the first beatitude here in Revelation who sees their ongoing spiritual poverty will continue depending on the Word of God, particularly the book of Revelation here as they partake of the wealth of Christ by reading, hearing, and keeping the word. For it is in Christ that are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2, 3. We are poor in spirit, we become wealthy in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Riches in Christ. The first beatitude declares happiness 
has a benefit of this book. Pastor Xavier Reese reminding us how even though we come into the world with nothing and leave it with nothing, in Christ we find spiritual wealth. Now you can request a copy of today's study from the book of Revelation called The Beatitudes of Revelation. It's available for just $4 on CD. Now what Pastor Xavier has planned to share next time will also be included. The title to ask for once again is The Beatitudes of Revelation, or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make a request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And letting us know the call letters of this station is a big help, so thank you for noting that when you contact us. Could there be a best part to the second coming of Christ? Tune in next time and find out what it is as Pastor Xavier Reese continues our study of the Beatitudes of Revelation. That's right here on the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com